Okay, let's get started. So we are on the bottom of 37B, and what we're in the middle of talking about is a special type of bread, bread that has been baked specifically for the purposes of then being made into this kutach, right? The kutach was the sort of mixture of old bread together with um, sour milk that was a delicacy, apparently, in Babel in ancient times. Might still be, I don't know. So when you have bread that is made specifically for that purpose, so Rebchia had said, four lines from the bottom, one does not have to take challah on this dough, on the bread that has been made for the purposes of, of um, the purposes of the kutach, you don't take challah, right? So challah is the Torah-based commandment of taking a portion of the of dough, or in this case, it seems like you're taking the, the, not just the dough, but the finished product, which you are permitted to do, you know, not ideally. Ideally, you're supposed to take it from the actual dough. If you didn't take it from the dough, then you could actually take it from the finished product that you put together the all the different items that you were supposed to take the, the challah from when it was put together in the dough, and then you would cover it over with a towel, and then you could still take the challah from it. So if it's kutach, Rebchia says you don't take challah. We learned in a b'raith, another b'raith says you are obligated to take challah from this kutach, right? So what's the difference? Why one b'raith says that you do, one b'raith says you don't. Robin, you there? He says that sometimes the actions can define what this item is. So what does this mean? Asa'an ke'avin, if you made this challah for the purposes, you made this bread for the purposes of using it for kutach, but you made it in a typical fashion, you made a round, Rashi explains, you made a rounded, regular sized challah roll, basically, then chayavin, then you are going to be obligated to take challah off of that item. Kilimudvin, if you make it in these like little flat rod shapes, then peturim, then you don't take challah off of this item. So according to Rashi, you need two different things to make yourself putter from taking challah, to make yourself exempt from taking challah. In other words, it's not going to be typical challah, right? It's not going to be typical bread. What are those two things? It has to be made for the purposes of being kutach. It has to be a, a funny shape. And according to Rashi, it also has to be something that's baked bread in the sun, a, a typical way of baking. According to Tysus, that's not true. You don't need to come onto the bread being baked in the sun. That wouldn't actually make any difference at all. The only question is, is it bread that is baked in a typical way for the purposes of not being eaten like regular bread is eaten? That, according to Tysus, is the only criteria. And therefore, if you make it in this long, funny shape for the purposes of turning it into a kutach mixture, according to Tysus, it is then putter from kala. This, is, by the way, is going to end up getting into the conversation of what we call pasababakisnin, right? We talk about pasababakisnin, which is when you take certain types of bread, mezainous type items that are used, that are dough, but are not exactly regular bread. And we're going to get into those categories a little bit later, but this is already starting to hint at that topic now already, that you could have a item which is similar to bread, but not quite bread. Which we mentioned yesterday, the kuva da'ara is when they stick a very thin batter of flour and water on the floor, not just the floor, but they would actually hollow out a little depression inside the bottom of an oven, and then they would stick the batter into that depression. The advantage of that is that you can take a thin batter, and instead of it spreading all over, since there's an actual little hole in it, so that will actually just stick in that hole, and then it will cook in that little hole. So it's kind of like um, a waffle mold for, uh, you know, so you end up, because there's a specific little depression that it's in, it actually will cook in that shape, as opposed to just keep on spreading ad infinitum. Okay, so that kuva da'ara, what bracha do you make on that? Do you believe that this is considered to be bread? It's just some sort of mixture, right? Gubla is a mixture of flour and water. It's not actual bread. You're going to make a mezainus on it, right? Because we haven't yet defined clearly. You take exactly the same mixture, but sometimes it's going to be mezainus, and sometimes it's going to be 
right? So if you make a breadstick, you know, we're going to get into all these conversations when we get to the pasta of the kisten. But at this point, what we're saying is if you make some sort of pancake mixture, it's not bread just because it has the similar ingredients to bread. It's a different consistency to start with. It's a, a what we call a balila raka, a thin batter, and therefore it's not going to be bread. It will be mazainus. Marzutra actually sometimes would make his suda. He would say, I'm sitting down to eat a meal, and what would he eat? He would eat these crackers or whatever they whatever the consistency ended up being it was some sort of um it was a non-bread item but he actually sometimes would sit there and say this is my meal and if he did that then he would actually make a right this is the once again the idea of possible that if you are kevea suda if you say this is going to be my meal and you eat a lot of it then indeed it, you do make a on this item even though normally you would make a mazainus right so according to some let's say another one of the examples would be uh, a jelly donut right so if you eat enough jelly donuts and your kaveya suda on a jelly donut, on Hanukkah time, you would actually make a hamaytzi, according to some people. So, what was that? So, so someone's asking, is it pizza also? So, it, it kind of is pizza, according to some people. According to others, pizza, you make a hamaytzi on always. So, Ramosha Feinstein famously says that pizza, if you have one slice, you don't make a hamaytzi, you make a mazonis. If you have two slices, then you're ready to be kaveya suda, and then you have to make a hamaytzi. But many people argue. But when, later on in the Gemara, not, not today's Gemara, but it, I think somewhere in the MEMS, we're going to get into exactly what possible the kisten is. Maybe then I'll, I'll spend like a couple of minutes on exactly what possible the kisten is and how much spaghetti one would have to eat before it's considered to be amkovea suda. You have to make amotzi on it, pretzels, all, all these types of topics. Okay. So, and not, not only that, you make amotzi beforehand, then afterwards, the shalosh brachas, and then you say the shalosh brachas, the three blessings, which we've said already is brachas hamazon, right? Which is really four blessings, but only three are on a Torah level. Amar mar baravashi, mar baravashi said, and Rabbi Ashi says, and you fulfill your obligation of eating matzah on Pesach through eating this type of this gubla, this uh, this thin batter that ends up getting thrown into the thrown into the fold, right? Now, matzah is not a thin batter. If anybody's ever gone to matzah baker, it's not a thin batter; it's a thick batter, right? But at least Rabbi Ashi is saying you could consider it to be your meal on Pesach, right? If you make it, if you make it the, the food upon which you're eating, that is actually considered to be your fulfill your obligation, which sounds actually pretty similar. Sfardim hold that matzah you don't make a hamotzi on the rest of the year, right? Sfardim don't make a hamotzi on matzah the rest of the year; they only make a mazainus on it, right? But on Pesach they'll make a, they'll make a hamotzi on on matzah. What was that? I thought they don't even eat matzah. Do they not? Because well, they don't want to get into the suffix? Yeah. I, I, I don't remember that. I'm not sure. So do you have to be, do you have to be careful on, um, like when you have a safari over for Shabbat and you're making a mozi on matzah? Um, I guess that's a good point. Right? So Slavic's asking, let's say you have a safari person eating at your house in Shabbos. For example, if Slavic is, is making is making a mozi at home on matzah, what does Hila do? She's fardy. So uh, that's a good question. I think you probably I think you probably should do should do uh, bread then for for a fardy. That's a good point though. Well, wait a second. Okay. Don't fardy also also consider egg challah to be mizonah? They only make a mozi on water challah. So even challah is Egg I'm not sure about that. Is that right? Sardim hold egg challah is. I, I have been informed by some Spartans that if you... Yeah, no, no, right, yeah. So I, I don't know. Right, so the question is what percentage is probably. probably has to do with percentages, and I don't think it's any egg at all that makes it mazainous. I think it has to be a decent amount of egg, or perhaps if it's a lot of egg on top, maybe. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that later. 
Okay, so why is it that you can fulfill your obligation of eating, eating matzah with this on Pesach? My time. This is called the poor bread, right? You know, there's a, when we eat the matzah on Pesach, it is poor, poor bread. So eating this bread, that fulfills the, the, the requirement of eating poor bread. Ravashi says a different halacha, right? Now that we're, we're quoting things from Mara, the son of Ravashi, right? Ravashi was one of the final Amorites. Right? So this is perhaps the last Amorite that there is. He said, the tamri, honey that comes out of dates, right? I think they call it silan. What bracha do you make on that honey? You make a shahakal, right? What might I have thought? I might have thought you make a ha'etz, right? If the date itself is ha'etz, then maybe the honey is also ha'etz. No, you make a shahakal. My time, a why? Zeya ba'almahu. This is not considered to be the fruit. This is considered to be, zeya literally means sweat. This is considered to be the sweat of the fruit, not the fruit itself. It will be the fruit itself, crushed up dates. Then perhaps, we're going to get into it in a minute, then perhaps you would make ha'etz. But this is not the fruit itself. This is a byproduct of the fruit, and therefore you're going to make a shahakal. Kiman, whose opinion is this following? Kihai tana, like this tana. Fitanan. We learned in the Mishnah. If you eat the honey of dates or the yayin tapuchim, but presumably over here this means like an apple juice, right, which Rashi explains is sometimes they have like the grapes that ripen too late, right? And they're not ripe early in the season. They're not ripe when they should be ripe, so you, it's not good for anything. and You end up turning it into a vinegar, right? So you're drinking this vinegar, which is made out of the late, late to bloom grapes. And any other type of fruit juice that belongs to truma, right? That's really the portion that's supposed to go to Kohanim. says, if you eat it accidentally, you have to give back to the Kohen a Karen, the actual principle, and as well as a Chomish, as well as an additional fifth, right? The additional fifth that we're talking about here is always talking about a fifth milabar, as we say. So that means that you actually figure out what is a quarter of the total value. You add that on, and then after, once you added that quarter, now you end up with a fifth of the total. So when we say fifth, we really, we really mean, I think, what most people today would call a quarter, but that's what Chazal meant. They meant the Chumash milabar. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says you don't have to do that, right? So Rashi explains, why does Rabbi Yeshua say that you are exempt from paying for this, for the benefit that you've received, benefit that you derive from this fruit juice? So Rashi explains that Rabbi Yeshua's opinion is that it's Zeya Ba'alma. It's just the sweat. That's all it is. It's just the sweat. And since it's just the sweat, that's not something for which you're going to be obligated to pay when you do that with truma. When are you obligated to pay for that with truma? That's only when you actually take the actual fruit, but not when you take the juice of a fruit that wasn't meant to be, that, that, that's not meant to be eaten. Okay. So, Amaleo. Amaleo, So one of the Rabbanon said to Rabba, Trima mahu. What's the halach about trima, right? So lehave adaita the rava. Rava says didn't really understand what he was asking. Mike Amale, what he was talking about. Yasuv avina kimei the rava. Ravina was sitting in front of rava. Amale is shumshmika amet. Perhaps he means crushed sesame seeds, right? The sesame oil. Maybe that's what he's asking. What bracha do you make on that? Oi, the kurtimika amet. Maybe it's not crushed saffron, right? What bracha do you make on that? Oi, the portsini amet. Or maybe he means like crush them. Some sort of thing that they would do with crushed grape seeds, right? Maybe, I don't know, maybe some sort of grape seed oil. I don't know. So these are the possible options. What exactly this guy's asking? What bracha do you make on maybe one of these three things? Prima means to be crushed. So it's talking about a crushed item. What is, which crushed item we're talking about, we're unsure right now. So, um, so what we say is, up until then, then Rav actually sort of figured out exactly what he was asking. 
So Adrachtan Milsa Hada Amar Asi must be you're asking about crushed things, and it reminds me of something that Rav Asi had said. Tamri Shel Truma. You have a Tamri of Truma. Tamri is a date of Truma. And Mutur Lasis Mehen Trima. It is permitted to make it into Trima. But also Lasis Mehen Sheikha, but it is forbidden to make it into date beer. Now, here's the halacha. The halacha is that when you have something that belongs to Truma, you're not allowed to waste it. You're not allowed to destroy it unnecessarily, right? So you're allowed to turn it into Truma. You're allowed to crush it because that's not considered to be destroying it because that's considered to be a, the use for which it is, the purpose for which it is made. But to turn it into beer, that's considered to be completely crushing the item in a way that is destructive, right? Even though you're going to end up with a byproduct that might be better, but that's not permitted to do with Truma. What we see from here is that you are permitted to take it and turn it into Truma. So presumably what he was asking is what are you permitted to what bracha do you make on the truma? If you're permitted to take the truma fruit, the truma date, and turn it into truma, then presumably that means that it's still a bracha of a eight after you've done so. So, the help of Tamri, and Allah is that you would make a very pia eight when you crush the date. My time, because it's still in the same form as it was initially. So, Rashi says, what's the case of truma? Rashi says the case is that it's it still. It's still somewhat in the same form, right? You crushed it a lot, but you didn't crush it in a way that there's, it's like completely unrecognizable, right? Now, th- this thing actually does have ramifications for us today, like applesauce, right? If you're eating an applesauce, that, you know, homemade applesauce, normally you're not like crushing it so well. So you might even have skins in it. There's very noticeably applesauce still. So then you, you would make a ace. If you're eating, let's say, a very, very processed applesauce, it could be you make a shahaka, right? If it's crushed in a way that it's not even similar to its original, original uh, thing. Same thing with mashed potatoes. You're making homemade mashed potatoes, you're going to be making a hadama on it, right? But if you're making a mashed potatoes from an instant box, you're going to make a shahaka on it because it's not even any sort of hint as to what it originally was, right? Dehydrated mashed potatoes that you reconstitute. Shatisa, Rav Amr Shahakoni Right now we're asking about a new question. So Shatisa is like this. What they would do is they would take a wheat kernels, they would toast them. After they toasted them, they would turn it into flour. Then they would mix it together with like Order and oil and spices or whatever else they would do with it, and then they would bake it. So Rav says, "What's the bracha?" Shahakal niyeh b'dvarei. With Shmuel, I'm at very many mazayin. Shmuel says, "Make mazayin." Amr of Chizda, but like Pligi, Chizda says they're not arguing. Haba ava, haba raka. So Chizda says there's no machlekas here. When it's a very thin batter, then you make a shahakal. Everybody agrees. When it's a very thick batter, everybody agrees. You make a mazayinus. So ava lachila avdila. Why do people make the shatisa in a thick batter? They do it because they want to eat it. So if you're doing that for the purposes of eating, then you're going to make a mazaynas on it. Why do they make it a thin batter, a thin consistency that ends up with a very, probably a thin, very crisp type of item? The reason is because they're doing that for refuah purposes, for healing purposes. Since you're doing it for healing purposes, you're not going to make a mazaynas anymore. You're going to make a shahaka. It still has taste. Yeah, good point. Right. So, so Yaakov's point, you know, it obviously still has eight taste. If it didn't have a taste at all, then you wouldn't make a bracha at all. And everybody agrees that you can stir the shisus, this item, on Shabbos. You're permitted to stir it on Shabbos. And you're also permitted to drink the zisam hamitri on Shabbos. Now, the question is like this. If you're going to tell me that the reason why people eat shisisa is solely for the purposes of refuah, therapeutic, you know, the, the medicinal qualities of it, right? Then refuah with Shabbos, Mishari, are you permitted to do things that are for Rafu on Shabbos, why would you be permitted to mix together this Yashisa on Shabbos? If anyways, you can't actually do anything with it on Shabbos if it's something that's only for Rafu, which we said, you're not permitted to do Rafu on Shabbos unless you're 
pretty ill, or unless the other thing that Gemara is about to answer right now. Did you not explain this? Indeed, it is permitted to eat and drink things that are refuah applications on Shabbos, right? So where was Chazal's initial takana? Chazal's initial enactment to protect us from coming to do shchika samaman, to coming to use a mortar and a pestle to crush up medicine, that's only by actual medicine. So eating and drinking things is not really included in the original takana. But what they said is, if you do something that is clearly being done for medicinal purposes, even if you're eating or drinking something, but it's clearly being done for medicinal purposes, then that's still forbidden to be done. Why? Because that falls under the rubric of something which is a medicinal thing on top. Now, if you're eating or drinking something that normal people eat or drink, what we call Michael Brian, what healthy people eat or drink, then that's never a concern because nobody's going to think that's why you're doing it. And even if that is your intent, it doesn't make a difference. So we're saying right now is like this. It is true that you're eating shasitsa and you're eating it for the purposes of health reasons. But it is a mychobrium. It is something that healthy people sometimes eat as well. And therefore, it is permitted to be done. You see over here that the person is eating it for the sake of, of eating, and, and, there, and therefore, it is permitted to be done. Another way to explain this. What can you answer? His intent is to actually eat it, and then the refuah just comes mamela. It just comes uh, as a consequence of what you're doing. But that wasn't, so it doesn't mean to say that it wasn't his intent to eat it for the refuah. But what it looks like is he's just eating it. And then happens to be he also gets healthy too. So to over here, he made this shasisa, the shasisa with a very thin consistency, and they made it for the purposes of eating. And then he ended up also as a, as a, um, not but I'm just how do you say in English? Um, and it came along with it the the fact that it was as a byproduct, it came along that it was it made him healthy as well. It, right. Betricha de Rav Ushmuel. We need a statement of Rav and Shmuel that you're allowed to eat the shasisa. The, the purpose of saying that shasisa raka is a refua thing, right? Why do I need them to say that, right? From this, from the halacha that you're allowed to mix it on Shabbos. Clearly, it's being done for a refuah thing, but it's still medicinal. I mean, sorry, it's still a mychobrim, and therefore it's okay. So why do we need to say them separately? Why, why are they coming to add that the Mishnah didn't already teach us? If we would have only said the Mishnah, I would say that it's only good when their purpose is really to eat it, and then maybe they also get healed as well, but their main purpose was actually just to eat it for the, for the sake of eating. But maybe over here, when they're really eating it, not for the sake of of eating it, really, their only purpose is really just for refua. Maybe what I would say is, maybe I would say you don't make any bracha at all. Right, this concept that we already mentioned earlier, that even if you're eating something solely for the purposes of getting refua, but if it also tastes good, you're going to make a bracha on it, right? So if you have a children's Tylenol that has a flavor to it, you have to make a bracha. If you have a flavorless Tylenol, then you don't. If you're having an Advil, I think there's a question about like the, the, the brand name Advil has the sugar on it, right? But the generic doesn't normally have it on, on it. So like, I guess you swallow Advil. I doubt there's too much flavor there anyway. Right. See, why is it the generic ones don't have sugar? Who knows? It's just cheaper. Okay, fine. Okay, let's go further. Okay, so the Mishnah told us like this. So when you eat pasta, when you eat bread, you make a mitzvah in the What's the exact bracha? What's the exact wording of this bracha? Do you say or do you say So 
One opinion says that you should say One opinion says Now, it's unclear what exactly is the difference between adding this hay or not putting the hay, but the Gemara itself is going to get into the dicta, it's going to get into the grammar and exactly what the difference would be between these two opinions. And somebody is taking, and somebody is making a bracha on bread, and they say It is clear that they are referring to the fact that Hashem took bread out of the ground, right? The idea that we're trying to convey when we make the bracha is that Hashem has taken this bread out of the ground. So we want to use a not future. We want to use a past tense to discuss the fact that Hashem took the bread out of the ground, and Maitzi certainly fulfills that. How do we know? So that is in Sefer by Midbar. And Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about Hashem who took them out of Mitzrayim. And he says, Hashem, who Maitzi took out from Mitzrayim. So, what about if you say Hamitzi, right, which we do say today, does that also imply past taking out or not? The Chachamim say that you should say Hamitzi Lachmanaritz. Why? The Afik Mashmas. It indicates that this has been taken out in the past. Because in the Varim, so Moshe Rabbeinu was telling Klal Yisrael that Hashem managed to take water for you out of a rock made out of flint, right? So over there it was saying, Hashem took water out in the past. When we first went into the desert, Hashem took the water out. So Hamotzi does indicate past performance. But Rebbe says, no, when you say a language of Hamotzi, it sounds like Hashem will take out, which would not satisfy the requirement. The, what we're trying to convey is that Hashem took the bread out of the ground, not that Hashem will take bread out of the ground, Hashem took this bread out of the ground. Now, how does he understand why he, why he believes that Hamotzi is referring to something that will happen in the future? So if you look on the side, it tells us when is this talking about. This is when Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Kali Yisrael in Parshas Ve'era. And this is before they are leaving Egypt. And Moshe Rabbeinu tells Kali Yisrael, Who will take you out from the tribulations that you're going through in Mitzrayim? So that seems to imply it's a future occurrence that will be happening. What are the Chachamim who say that you should say Hamaytzi and say that Hamaytzi means past performance? What do they do with the fact that when Moshe is speaking to Kali Yisrael, he says, mitzrayim, referring to something that will take place in the future. How do they work around with that? The structure of the Pasuk it just says, like it says, I'm going to take you out, and then you'll know. Yeah, that, that's what Mark's going to answer. Oh. Yeah. Good job. It's the beer. Um, so, this is what Hashem is telling the Yisrael. When I will take you out of Egypt, when I have taken you out of Egypt, you will know then that I am the one who took you out of Egypt in the past. Right? So he's saying now what you will know in the future about something that happened in the past. So therefore, the Hamotzi does work out as referring to the past. As it says, the Adatukin, the Hashem Alekechem, Hamoitzi mi, Hamoitzi Mishtabchen le, I'm sorry, Hamoitzi, who took you out in the past. Mishtabchen le Rabbanon le Reb Zera, Bar Reb Zvid, Achva, the Reb Shimon, Bar Reb Zvid. The Chachalam said to Reb Zera, they said that Reb Zvid is a, the Reb Shimon, Bar Reb Zvid, Adam Gadol, yeah. So the Chachalam told Reb Zera that there's this fellow, and his name is Reb Shimon, Bar Reb Zvid. And he's a tremendous Talmud Chacham, tremendous Torah scholar, who bought you with brachas, and he knows the laws of brachas very well. When he comes to town next, make sure to bring him to see me. I want to see if he's really all, all that. 
One time he came to the town. So immediately he brings out for him bread. So he, he wanted to see what, what bracha is he going to say? Is he going to say ha He's going to say mighty. What does he say? He said mighty. This is who you're saying is a great man, Ubaki Vibrachas, and very familiar with the laws of Brachas. We're turning the page now. If he would have said, then he would have been someone who's willing to really be machria, really to decide between two different positions and to say that indeed, Hamotzi works, right? But if he says, Motzi, it doesn't help me at all. Because motzi is that's a safe that's a safe bet. We already said earlier. Everybody agrees that motzi works. If he's really a, a, really knows his stuff and he's willing to put himself out there, then he should have said ha motzi, and then he could have helped us decide what the halacha is. So he's not actually saying that there's anything wrong with it. He's just saying that he hasn't he hasn't gotten he hasn't shown that he's ready to decide a question that is a weighty question. He hasn't shown that he's not ready to decide. He just hasn't shown that he is ready either. And Igmar says, well, yeah, in truth, the reason why he did this is because he didn't, he didn't want to get himself into this machlekas, and he'd rather say the opinion that works according to everybody. Because you go with the Chacham's opinion that it is all about, even Hamaytzi implies that was taken out in the past. Okay. Why, why? Well, so, so what they're asking is that maybe, maybe he actually was saying that only Hamotzi works and not Hamotzi. Hamotzi doesn't work at all. Maybe that is actually what he was deciding. So I think that you wouldn't know, though. You wouldn't be able to know, is he actually paskining that Hamotzi doesn't work or he's just being safe? Right? We, we've said before, right, that koach de hetera adif, right? It's to paskin a heter is, to paskin that something is permitted is a lot more difficult than to paskin that something is forbidden. Because anybody could say it's forbidden, right? But to say that something is permitted to be done, that takes some that takes some real Torah knowledge to be able to say that. So we hear also, even if he would say that it is you make the bracha of motzi, it's not clear to us that he's saying you only make the bracha of motzi. He's just covering all his bases and saying you make the bracha of motzi as opposed to hamotzi. So in the, the Mishnah puts yurakos together with pass. Right? It says that vegetables. It says pass when you eat bread, you make hamotzi. And it says when you eat vegetables, you make a hadama. The Gemara says like this: The Tony Yurakis told me in the past. My passion is done on a day or after Yurakis narration is done on a day or. The fact that we put them together in the Mishnah should tell us like this: the same way that past that bread is something which has changed its chemical qualities through exposure to fire, so too the Yurakis, the vegetables that we're talking about, you're making hadama on. What's it talking about? Vegetables that have already changed its chemical status due to exposure to fire. So that tells us that even cooked vegetables, you would make a hadama on and not a shahako, which is not so simple. The Gemara is about to get into that. What's the bracha that you make on cooked vegetables? Is this to say, that cooked, that you baked it, it became bread, so now you make but you're saying that you expose vegetables to fire and yet make the same bracha. Well, no, so we're not clear yet. Which, when the Mishnah t- said that, but when you eat vegetables, you make a hadama. Is that referring to vegetables, raw vegetables? Is that referring to cooked vegetables? Is that referring to both? Because you're assuming right now that raw vegetables you make a hadama on. That's not so simple. We're going to see right now that that's exactly the question right here. So the Gemara says like this. We know what we do today, right? We know that we make adama on raw vegetables and on cooked vegetables. Right? That's not a question. But the Gemara, is, we, know, we know what we do because of how the Gemara ends up coming out with the answer. So... Okay, so he says that the fact is the same way on shlakas, on you make a when you're eating cooked vegetables, that's when you make a hadama. The same way that when you cook bread, you make a hadama. I make a hamaytzilach manaris. 
right? The Mishnah indicates that there are similar categories in the same way that the halacha about bread, you make a hamaitzi, referring to after it's ready cooked. So, so too, the halacha of hadama by vegetables means hadama once it's ready been cooked. Rav Chizda said over in the name of his Rebbe, and who, of our Rebbe, who is that? Rav. When you have cooked vegetables, you make a very piyadama. But Rabbi Seinu, but our teachers who came from Israel, Umanu, and who was that? Ula, Mishmei, the Rabbi Yechon, said over in the name of Rabbi Yechon, Amar, Cooked vegetables, you actually make a shahakal. And I say, anything that when it's raw is a hadama, once you boil it, stew it, then it turns into a shahakal. Any vegetable that starts off raw as a shahakal, then when you, when you cook it, then it's going to turn into very piyadama. That's that's his conclusion. So we're not done yet. The Gemara is going to continue. That which you say that there are vegetables that initially are only a shahakal, then after being cooked, they turn into a a hadama. What is that? So shalku piyadama We can find things like that in a case of the karva cabbage, the silka beets, the kara and gourds. Those are items which, when they're raw, they're going to be shahakal, and when they're cooked, they're going to turn into hadama. Those are items that are not normally eaten. Raw, right? At least in those days, they're not eating raw. What was that? Pickling them. Pickling them. Well, so, right. So we're going to get into that. We haven't touched on that yet, but there's a halachic idea that when you pickle something, it actually has the same halachic status as cooking it. Okay. So we're going to get into that soon. Why? Raw beets. Are they? Is borscht raw beets? No, it's cooked beets, right? Yeah. So we were wondering about this today. It, it must be that the Mitzi has changed that because it, it does seem like in the Gemara's times, people did not eat raw beets. They did not eat raw cabbage. They did not eat raw, I mean, raw gourds. We they still don't eat today. Pieces, they they, yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> it could be a different um, uh, palate than we do today. That's true. Ella. Where do you find a case where initially it's very piyadama, then after you cook it, all of a sudden it turns into shahakal? What is that? Where is that? That's by garlic and karti and leek. So garlic and leek, if you eat it plain, it's adama. If you eat it cooked, it turns into shahakal. What do you mean? We eat the other things dry and we don't eat garlic. That's true. That's a good point. I guess leek we do sometimes eat. Chopped up. <laughs> Do you have a cold? Darush of Nachman, Mishum Rabbeinu. Rav Nachman says the name of Rabbeinu. Umanu, who's who's his Rabbi? Shmuel. Shlokis Mavarchan Aleim Bayer Piyadama. The Chaverino Yardim Eretz Yisrael. Umanu Ula. Shmei Darbi Echanama. Shlokis Mavarchan Aleim Shahakal Niyabazari. So similar machlokes, similar disputes. Do we make a a bracha of Shahakal on on these boiled vegetables, or do we make a bracha of Hadama? Vanimar and I say the machlokes and I say that it is actually depends on an earlier machlokes. An earlier dispute of Tanayim. Why? Tanya. When it comes to Pesach, and you want to fulfill your obligation of eating matzah and Pesach, you take a matzah, a wafer, right? The Gemara calls it a wafer, because remember, in the Gemara's times, their matzah was not the matzah that we have today, which is a wafer. It was actually a thicker matzah. It was a soft matzah in the Gemara's times. So what we're talking about over here is you have a thinner matzah. You take this thinner matzah and you soak it in water for a little bit. Or if you actually boiled it, but it did not start dissolving yet. Then you can still fulfill your mitzvah obligation on Pesach. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yaisi says you can fulfill your obligation with 
matzah that's been soaked in water, but not with matzah that's actually been cooked already. As soon as it gets cooked, you can no longer fulfill your obligation. The Gemara seems to say like this. The same way they hold that by matzah, if it's been cooked, is it still called matzah? Machlek is tanayim. One Tana says you can still fulfill your mitzvah even though it's cooked. Other Tana says no, you cannot fulfill your mitzvah once it's been cooked. That's the same machlek it's about vegetables. Once the vegetable has been cooked, is that still the same vegetable that you make a hadama on or is that no longer the same vegetable that we make a hadama on? This is, this is without getting into um, the whole Gebrax question because clearly the Gemara is not concerned about Gebrax. So, okay, so we talk about being cooked. So the Gemara says, if it's cooked to the point at which it starts dissolving, then everybody agrees you no longer make a bracha on it. I mean, not, not you don't make a bracha on it, but you no longer can fulfill your mitzvah of eating matzah with that. Yeah, I'm saying that's obviously a rather advanced. Matzah, matzah dissolves really quickly in, in water. Oh, no, no. So we're, what we're trying to bring out from here, we're not getting into that point. That's, that's just... No, no, I understand. But yeah, okay. What is any cooking of vegetables or is there a certain actual... Oh, oh, oh. so, so Yaakov's asking... Chemical composition, right? You right. steam a vegetable. You know what I mean? I think it's probably changed to some extent. Yaakov's asking, well, well, how do we find the, the the parallel when it comes to the parallel when it comes to vegetables? Exactly what level of cooking are we referring to? Because so I don't know exactly what level, but something. It's something which people would now look at that as on some level significantly different, right? If people don't perceive that as anything, right, then well, nothing would change, right? Nobody would perceive that as anything different, right? So you have to be talking about where it did change to some extent, right? Yeah, but I, but I, I don't know. I don't know yet. See, we're not going to have this difference. Halachalamites, we're going to make Adam on everything. So it would, if we did it though, then then we probably would have a better idea what they meant. Okay. Um, so the Gemara says perhaps that really this dispute is really dependent on that earlier dispute. Belayi, and it's not so. In truth, all these these two Tanaim can both agree that when it comes to cooked vegetables, of course you make Adama. Everybody agrees. Rabbi Yaisi argued over there when you cook matzah and said you no longer can fulfill your matzah obligation on Pesach with it once it's cooked. He says you need to be able to taste the flavor of matzah when you're eating matzah on Pesach. And once it's cooked, you no longer have flavor of matzah. It's important to eat the flavor of the matzah to put yourself back in that, you know, the mindset that we were when we left Mitzrayim and that you're not going to achieve if it's already been boiled. But that's a very technical problem when specific to matzah that's not related to, to shalakos. And when it comes to boiled vegetables, of course, you can still make adama on it. Avalacha, but here even Abiyasi would agree that boiled vegetables, cooked vegetables are permitted to make a adama on it as well. Comes to Shlakos, you make a very piyadama. Earlier, who was the person who we were quoting as saying shahakal? We were quoting Rabbi Yechanan as saying that you make a shahakal, right? Now Rabbi Abba is saying, hey, no, you make a adama. Rabbi Yaman, by Yafes, I'm Rabbi Yechanan. Rabbi Yaman said in the name of Rabbi Yafes. Sorry, Rabbi Yaman, the son of Yafes, said in the name of Rabbi Yechanan. Shlakos, Mubarakhanan, Lehim, Shahakal, Lehim, Azari. He said that, he said the opinion of Rabbi Yechanan is that you make a shahakal on these cooked vegetables. Amr of Nachman, Yitzchak, Kava Ula, the Shabashte, Kirabin Yaman, by Yafes. Ula took this mistake that Rabbi Yaman Bayefes made about the opinion of Rabbi Yechanan and made it into halacha. Because Ula said, this is the halacha, make a shahakal. He said it based on this mistaken tradition that Rabbi Yaman Bayefes was quoting Rabbi Yechanan wrongly. The word now is going to get into exactly how we know that he's wrong about Rabbi Yechanan's opinion. It's not the correct opinion. So, Tzari Yibar Rabbi Zeir. Rabbi Zeir then says, how is it possible that Ula made a mistake like this? How could one possibly dream to compare the opinion of Rabbi Yaman Bayefes against the opinion of Rabbi Abba? Rabbi Abba is a true Torah scholar, and 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 we're going to see exactly what what he did to be more to be more trustworthy in terms of the transmission from his teacher than Rabbi Yaman Bayefes. The Gemara says like this: Rabbi Abba, the Dayik Rabbi Yechonon Rabbi, 
He was very, very careful with every word that he heard from Yechon and his teacher. Rabbi Yaman by Yafas was the heck. Rabbi Yaman Yafas wasn't such a careful student. He didn't do a great job taking notes perfectly. So he's not so trustworthy. At, at least not as trustworthy as Rabbi Yaman. At the end of each 30 days, he would go back to Rabbi Yaman. Rabbi would go back to his Rabbi Yaman and tell him after 30 days, okay, Rabbi, I'm going to say over now quickly, we're going to run through everything that you told me over the last 30 days. And then Rabbi Yaman would sit there and say, yep, 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 yep. Oh, and that I didn't say it like that. So not only did he do a good job when he first wrote it down, he also did a great job Chazara. He did a great job reviewing his learning. And also aside from these two points, these two differences between and There's a story. There was a turmus that was soaked seven times. It was cooked seven times in the uh, Kedera in a pot. And it was eaten at the Kinuach Suda, at the end of the meal, as the dessert of the meal. They went to ask Rabbi Yechon what the halacha is. He said to them, He was eating a salted olive, right? an olive and brine. And he made a bracha before and after. Now, a salted olive is not cooked olive, it's a salted olive, right? So salted olive, though, is a brined olive, and brined, the, the halachic, halachically speaking, when you brine an item, it's considered like cooking an item. So you're able to draw a comparison if you would say by a brined olive that the halacha remains the same as before it was brined. So that would be the same thing when it comes to cooking a vegetable. The halacha would be the same thing as well. And you see, it made a bracha before and after. It flushes out its question. If we say that cooked items remain in its original status, then it makes sense that we need a brined olive before and he made the bracha of of eights, uh, and afterwards he made the bracha of a eights, right? The one bracha that is, is it has all three blessings in it. But if you say that item which has been cooked is no longer its an original status, so then the comparison would then be the analog would be that the olive that's been brined is no longer considered to be an olive and shouldn't have a before and an after, afterwards. So it never says what the bracha is that he said. It just says he said a bracha before and after. The Gemara says, well, okay, we know he could say a bracha before anyways. He could still say shahakal, right? But, what bracha does he make afterwards? Right? So the Gemara says, The Gemara thought to say that perhaps he doesn't make any bracha afterwards. It's unclear exactly why. Why wouldn't he make a bracha afterwards? It might be going with the opinion. There is an opinion later on that you only make a barrier of fascist on meat and eggs. And that other items, you don't make any, any after bracha at all. Okay? So perhaps the Gemara thought that he probably goes with that opinion. Therefore, if he makes a bracha before and after eating this brined olive, it must be that he holds that brining an item or cooking an item does not change its halachic status. Right? So the Gemara says, no, maybe it does change its halachic status. And it went from a ha'et alamechia when it comes to eating marah on Pesach, how do you fulfill your obligation? You, eat, you fulfill your obligation with the leaf as well as with the stalk, right? You need to have a certain shear, a certain measure of that food. So you, to, to, to uh, figure out what that measure is, you take the leaf and you take the stalk as well and when you're making your measurements. However, you cannot brine it. You cannot boil it. You cannot cook it. All those things, if you do that with the mara vegetables, you no longer can fulfill your obligation. 
The Gemara thinks to say, why can't you do that? Because it's no longer in the same category as it was before. In other words, it would no longer be Adama. If you say that when you boil something up, it's still in the same thing as it was before. So why can't you fulfill your halakh obligation of eating mara on Pesach once it's been boiled? Over there is different because over there you need to have tamara. Over there you need to have the flavor of mara. You need to have that taste of the bitterness that we went through in Egypt while you're eating that mara. And once it's been boiled, it no longer has that same level of bitterness. So that's why you can't fulfill the obligation. But once again, when it comes to shlakas, when it comes to cooked, Vegetables, of course, you do still make Adama. We're going to stop over here, picking up tomorrow night.